Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast, where we believe that the principal's job is the most interrupted job on the planet, and creating a clear and cohesive plan is the best way to improve your school. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Miller. I'm the founder of Leaders Building Leaders, and it's my goal each week to introduce you to new strategies and initiatives that are improving schools across the country. You're going to learn leadership principles that are going to help you accelerate your growth, build your teams, and execute on those goals so you can exceed those expectations of the communities that you aim to serve. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website at lbleaders.com. But for right now, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm really excited today to introduce our uh, special guest, Vanessa Baker from Socrates Academy. I've, I've known Vanessa for, uh, I don't know, five or six years, and, and uh, we had a uh, common background, and that was Exceptional Children. She was the Exceptional Children's Director at Socrates Academy at the time. She was part of a mastermind book study, and we were studying The Advantage, right? It was Pat, Pat uh, Lanchoni's book around yeah. organizational health. And um, I'm really excited because uh, you know, she's a great leader. She was a great leader at that time. And she has this amazing opportunity to run this very effective uh, charter school in Matthews, North Carolina, which used to be K-8 for a while. But now you are enjoying the uh, fruits of your labor and expanding all the way yeah. to high school. So, Vanessa, welcome to our highly, our highly impactful, effective uh, uh, school leader uh, podcast here, the Principal's Office podcast. It's great Thank to see you. you. Good to be here. Yeah. Awesome. And if you're watching on YouTube, then you get to see Vanessa as well. So let me make sure we got her up there. So Vanessa, take, take us through uh, your leadership uh, journey. You and I both have exceptional children's backgrounds, right? So I'm just always, always super curious about how someone takes that next, you know, step. So what, you know, where did you start in education or why did you become an educator and, and how did you, how did you make it here in the CEO chair? So I, I'm one of those um, people that have always wanted to be a teacher. And in school, I was a teacher assistant. I went home, played uh, with my dogs and retaught the lesson. Um, but in college, it wasn't until I took an introductory class in special education that I realized the passion that I had for that um, and got my bachelor's degree from UNCC in special education and taught for a while in Cabarrus County. Um, most of my time was in self-contained, um, working with students who have behavioral disabilities. And then towards the end of my time in the classroom, I did the resource setting. Um, still in Camaris County, I was an MTSS coach, which was really that way that I moved outside of the classroom and began to explore um, adults and adult learning and working with them. And I had a principal at the time who said to me, hey, have you ever thought about being a principal? And I had. Um, but it was that vote of confidence that like, oh my gosh, someone that I admire and think is a, you know, a brilliant principal thinks I could do that. Um, so shortly thereafter, I enrolled in a program, um, to be, um, a principal and then found my way right after that, after I graduated, um, to Socrates Academy as the UC director, um, then moved into an assistant principal role. And then here I am today. You know, I love that there's, we could unpack that first, you know, two minutes for about two hours, right? Because one, um, someone saw something in you 
right? That's always huge as a part of our world is, is we need people to sometimes, you know, believe in us or tell us, right? We may have, have some inner self-efficacy, but it's when that really influential person in your life comes forth and says, yeah, you know, you, you would really be, you know, great here in this role. And obviously they were, they were hundred uh, percent uh, nailed it on that one. And then, you know, the other piece, just with exceptional children, right? I always found when I was an exceptional children's teacher, we were exposed to a lot, right? The, the, the bigger picture parts of the school. Mm-hmm. So how did that, you know, come into play? Because I was never, you know, an exceptional children's director. That's what I always wanted to be, but I never had that opportunity until just a few years ago as an interim. But uh, how did that play a role when you started to see like the whole, you know, the whole school um, as as a big part of, you know, matching your skills and strengths to be an effective administrator? I think it was very helpful because you see it first through the lens of an EC teacher, and that is its own unique lens to look at something through, um, but then able to see the big picture because sometimes, you know, when you're in the classroom, you don't see that high level view of everything that's going on. But as an EC teacher and EC director, I was able to see the impact of, you know, one decision over the campus or, you know, um, things going on with students and how that impacted just outside of my classroom or the UC teachers classrooms that I was working with. Um, and, but it also that entry point into kind of that mid-management level only gave me the desire to do more. And so to start, like I had a really good influence um, within the UC department and with some regular ed teachers, but it only like lit that fire to do even more. Like it wasn't, wasn't enough for me. Yeah, I love it. And so, you know, a big part, I know you love to read and you love to learn. So what, so what maybe were you reading back then that was helping you through this bigger picture path, right? Or really starting to see yourself in a, in a much higher role. You remember? That's a good question. Um, so when I first came to Socrates Academy, the curriculum background that I had was vastly different than the curriculum of Socrates Academy. And we're fortunate that on our board, we have um, some of the best professors um, in the country. And one of them is the top professor in literacy. And so when I came here, I really had to study um, what was not being talked about a lot at the time, the science of reading. Well, today you hear that everywhere. but I really felt like we were on the forefront of that. We were having those conversations years and years ago. Um, but I knew nothing about it because I came from a whole language background that was very different. Um, so a lot of my reading was preparing me to be a curriculum leader. Um, and you know, I always that's one thing I always say to any leader is like you have to spend that time developing yourself as a curriculum leader and in your own leadership. Um, but at the beginning here, it was, it was hard because I was going home and studying like how to teach reading and I thought I knew, um, but I didn't. So I had a lot of reading. Yeah, yeah I love that. And uh, my, when I was, my real understanding of instruction, you know, I was a self-contained exceptional children's uh-huh. teacher my first five years. So my students had autism. And so we were doing, you know, um, Edmark, you know, like the reading uh, programs that were more visual. And then I ran into the SRA Reading Mastery Program, and I started to like, oh wow, look at all this! There, there is a science around it, and uh, yeah, what what great exposure! And it's always great, you know, you uh, you being a charter school principal and 
And as many of us know out there, you know, charter schools are independent public schools governed by a volunteer board and, and they have all these uh, skill sets and resources. And, and you were having multiple uh, professors right there to really be able to talk to and help mentor and guide and, you know, resource you on, you know, how to do that and how great to learn from the actual individuals that do the yeah. research and study, right? Yeah. Uh, very, very rare because uh, mostly we're just learning from a book. Mm-hmm. And we don't get yeah. to ask the person who maybe wrote the book or was part of the book or part of the research around the book to help them get there. Well, talk to us about Socrates Academy. So um, what, you know, tell me about its its mission and, and why it was created and, and who does it serve? So our um, academy here was founded. We have three founders who um, actually came out of the, um, the Greek language. Um, they knew each other through the church. Um, but our primary focus is that we are a partial Greek immersion school, so we're one of the only ones in North Carolina, and um, there's only a handful in the United States. So it's a very unique program, but it's also um, not just about the Greek language, though that's important. It's about that multicultural education, um, critical thinking skills, having um, the ability to have discussions at a high level. We do that through Socratic seminar. Um, our students also starting in middle school have the chance to take another language. Um, it's either Spanish or Chinese, they get to pick. Um, and then into the high school, um, we're really taking that multicultural um, emphasis to another level with our global studies. Good afternoon. We have our booster thought people here. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, now that we have high school, we're in our, we have ninth and 10th grade, we have a global studies diploma that they can get. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I'm most passionate about Socrates is our core values and striving for excellence and, you know, setting that bar higher and higher each year. We do good things here, but we can always get better. And that's something that our founder, um, Mr. Poole, has talked a lot about is, you know, just reaching for excellence every day, um, you know, looking spending time celebrating what's gone well, but also moving forward and creating new opportunities for excellence. Yeah, and, and that's one of the key, um, you know, the number one indicator of a high-performing school is this sustained mission and vision and, you know, clarity. And to have, you know, the founder of the organization still part of the conversation is really important. At least ask, you know, questions about, and, and what did you think? And is this what you envision for the school. Can you talk more because I know, you know, offering all those uh, languages and having the Greek influence in your organization, not everybody who teaches at your school was born in the United States, were they? So how do you guys bring in all these international um, influences to your organization? Right. So we have a partnership with the Greek government for our Greek teachers. Um, Now, some of our Greek teachers were born here and they may be native to Charlotte, but um, some people don't realize that Charlotte has such a large Greek population. Um, but some of them do come from the Greek government and they'll be here um, for three to four years and they can reapply to stay for an extension. Um, but it's really great to get them to come in and learn from them. Um, one of the reasons uh, or one of the things on their visa that they have to do while they're here is to teach us about their culture. And so that's a huge part of Socrates is not only learning the language, but the culture, the food, the dancing, the, you know, all the nuances of um, the, you know, the Greek culture. So they come here, we have, um, 
think five this year from Greece and uh, some of them were, were principals in Greece. So, you know, it's an excellent opportunity for me to learn from them as well. Yeah, and I just love that. So if you're out there listening to this, you know, podcast, everybody, or watching us on YouTube or wherever you're with us, there's more ways to bring, you know, resources into your organization, right? I mean, you're really fortunate to be able to have employees, but, you know, you could always Zoom people in now. I mean, if COVID's taught us anything, that there's access all across all the over. globe now, yeah, to, to you know, impact your uh, student base and your teacher base. So, well, so, okay, I love that. I love that aspect. And uh, yes, I have, I've been really privileged to be with your staff a couple of times and they're always fun. That is, that is for sure. They know how to have a good time. Yes, and so, is. so as the, so as the organizational leader, so now that you've, you know, you've grown from a teacher to a, you know, mid, mid-level leader, and now you're the head of an organization and how many students are there? Um, we have around 900 now. 900 students and how many staff members? hundred and ten around okay. that. All right. So again, you're you are a CEO of a multi-million dollar enterprise with those people. So what do you so what do you see now as like the difference in your daily work from the head of the organization compared to maybe what it was when you were a, a mid-level leader? What do you think are the most important things that you do every single day? So um, thanks to you, honestly, and the mentorship that you provided to me, I've really been able to um, make sure that I'm living into the role that and having these responsibilities that only I can do. So we talked about the mission and vision. So I spend a lot of time re-emphasizing that with staff. Um, I talking to students about that. I had a student in here earlier. We were talking about our honor code, our core values. Um, so that's something that I'm really passionate about but also developing the leaders. So a lot of my time is spent with our instructional leadership team, our assistant principals, our group director, um, so that I'm pouring into them um, and knowing that if they're getting better as a whole, we're getting better. Um, and then really spending time in classrooms is where I get um, my rejuvenation from. You know, sometimes it can be a, a difficult job where there's, you know, you go from one problem to the next, but getting into the classrooms is really important for me um, to see our mission being lived out and um, see the fruits of the leadership team's labor. I, I, I love that because I was going to ask you about the number of decisions that we have to make as organizational leaders. And you could, you just kind of hit on that, you know. I rejuvenate myself by getting into the rooms, mm-hmm. by being around why I why I started this role, you know, to start with. Um, such an important piece. But then you also talked about, you know, building an effective leadership team and, you know, a growing adult. So what are some of the key attributes that you look for in, you know, some of your team or maybe they're not in your building yet to be part of your leadership? I think the first thing is that commitment to our mission and core values as soccer team. Like I've, I've said already, I'm 100% behind the core values of soccer team academy. And it's something that anytime I get in front of staff, parents, students, I'm constantly talking about. And that's something that they have to commit to internally. And I can't make them commit to that. I can't, you know, train them into accepting our core values. It's something they just have to. So foremost, it's do they embrace the things that we say are important to us as Socrates? Um, And then also, are they coachable? 
Um, you know, are they going to take feedback? And, you know, are they willing to continue to learn? Um, you know, I was talking with our human resources director last week. This is a job. Once you get in a chair, you can't just say, all right, I'm here. I'm done. I've arrived. You have to continue to grow and invest in yourself. And I need people on my team who are willing to invest consistently um, in their leadership. Because when we stop growing, our school is going to stop growing. Yeah. So were the core values there when you were hired as the head of school or did you, did you guys, so can you take us through the process of how, of how you right. adopted so, core values? Um, we really started looking at our mission and vision when we expanded to high school. A couple of years before we um, made that jump to add ninth grade. And one of the things that came out of that discussion was here are a list of our core values that we wanna make sure that when a student leaves Socrates, they have these four values, or when a teacher is teaching that they have these four values as their professional guide. Um, so they include um, diversity, equity, justice, um, that striving for excellence, um, hospitality. Um, you have very, a lot of carpool, please report to the last just <laughs> carpool time. Um, just, you know, what are those things that are important to us here at Socrates? Yeah, I love it. So what are some of the core values? So they are um, commitment to excellence, and some of them are in Greek, and I won't um, try to say the Greek. Mm -hmm. um, respect and diversity, equity and justice, moral courage, um, moral virtue, ethical behavior, hospitality, um, empathy, and kindness. Yeah, excellent. So if, if um, so the education plan, so I know that since you, you know, came on board, you've had to do some work, right, to realign what, you know, students learn and how we know that they learn. And so, so if, if, if I were a, a pr prospective employee of Socrates Academy, or maybe a parent, how would you describe the education plan to me and, and, and why should I come either and teach there or why should I send my child there? So we um, have actually created, once we came through like our revised mission and vision and our core values, like a portrait of a graduate, what do we want our graduates to look like here? Um, so for parents, what I tell them is that we want them to have that global awareness um, that multicultural competency that they can walk into any job um, post-secondary and be successful. Um, yes, they'll have the languages, but they'll also have these core value competencies um, that will make them successful wherever they go. Um, mm -hmm. So I talk a lot about that with parents and then with teachers, again, just that commitment um, to our rigorous education. We want the very best for our scholars, no matter what level they're on. And so, you know, commitment to the North Carolina standards, making sure that we're using evidence-based practices. Um, that was a revision um, to our mission um, when we expanded to high school was putting that in there and saying, you know, we're not just gonna go find these random programs to implement in Socrates. It's gonna be vetted and it's gonna have evidence behind it. And, um, you know, that's what we're gonna use only the best for our scholars. Um, and so that can sometimes be a learning curve for teachers who come from districts who may have 200 curriculums and you can you know, choose um, from a multitude of things. Whereas here, um, you know, everything is um, very vetted. 
to make sure that it's the best. So, so I want to make sure that I capture this right, um, because John Maxwell talks about communication is just by far the number one skill required for to advance as a professional. But he also has a book called Good Leaders Ask Great Questions. So through the Socratic method, like I've seen a few Socratic seminars in your school, like, like how, how was that experience and how do you get teachers to really buy into that model? Um, of, of not being the, the sage on a stage, right? Because you have to be the guy by the side in every moment in those. So, so how do you teach and equip them to be prepared to do that? So to your point, I think it starts at the interview level when we're interviewing and talking to prospective teachers. Is this something that they're willing to do? You know, if you're very direct instruction minded, which I believe does have a place in the classroom, but if you aren't willing to take you know, a step down off of the stage, then this isn't the place for you to teach um, because we're wanting our scholars to lead the discourse in the classroom and be able to have opinions that they can confidently share and, um, you know, also be able to disagree in a respectful manner um, without necessarily being disrespectful of the person. So we do a lot of professional development at the beginning of the year with our staff, um, but most importantly, we get them into seeing teachers who were really good at the Socratic seminar, because it's something I can give you a PD on, you know, in 30 minutes, but you really have to see it. And then you have to go try it. Um, and so we have expectations about how often we see this in the classroom, how often that they're working on it. Um, and it just builds upon each other. So we started in kindergarten. And by the time you come over to a middle school classroom, you can see this really great discussion that's happening. And often I'll sit in a classroom just really amazed at how articulate our students are and I'll think, wow, like I was never that articulate yeah. in seventh grade. Um, but you know, and it, we see it no matter where you're at in the school environment, inside of a Socratic seminar, of course, but you know, even in a discussion with a scholar, if I'm talking to them about their behavior and saying, you know, why did you do this and this Jones class today? Well, mm -hmm. they can articulate their point very well and tell you exactly why they did it, you know, with their evidences. Um, so I think we're really building great communicators here. Yeah, I'm really excited as you get to that full, you know, K-12 to really watch that 13-year experience. It's going to be mm -hmm. huge and what those kids are going to be able to do for generations. Uh, because, you know, at times um, we curb, sometimes we curb curiosity, you know, in education. Mm -hmm. and 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 to be successful at your school and to, to be successful in life you have to be insatiably curious you can never stop asking questions and uh and learn it so i love that yeah we Talk really want to nurture that's in our mission <clears throat> nurturing their curiosity and um i think that parents who come here are very appreciative of that um that we're not just at the front of the room telling them what to think um, <laughs> right we're giving them that information and allowing them to form their opinions in a um, nurturing environment. Yeah. So culture. So let's talk about your learning environment. And um, you know, culture is built on rituals and ceremonies. And and uh, so, what are some of the rituals and ceremonies that you guys have on an annual basis? Um, well, I think I, I have to talk about the Greek culture and how you know it's such an instrumental part of everything that we do here we have multiple celebrations throughout the year celebrating their holidays um, we have dancing of course we have food um, and so that's huge just the 
Um, you know, I think that's what really makes Socrates Socrates is that influence of the Greek culture. Um, but then also um, we have things that we've historically done here or that I've started since being principal um, to help um, our, our climate and our culture within our, within our staff. So coming up in a couple of weeks, we have our annual fall festival that's just for the staff um, and they can bring their families. Um, one thing that I wanted to do um, a couple of years ago was provide an outlet to have fun with the staff and their families because a lot of families of teachers give up a lot. Um, so I wanted time for them to be able to come and have fun. So they do truck or treat, um, we'll cook out, and um, we do various things like that throughout the year. Um, and just trying to keep that family atmosphere that Socrates has always kind of been known for, um, really continuing to celebrate that and, and do different things to encourage that. Yeah. How would you, uh, you had talked about, you know, nurturing and, 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 um, how would you, if you were out in, out in the community, how would you want to see a Socrates Academy middle school or maybe early high school present themselves to the community? How would I know that I ran into one unless I saw the crest on their chest, right? But, That's a great question. I would love to ask my scholars that too. Um, I think that I would want them, um, you know, we talk here about being respectful and responsible. So I would want them to be respecting wherever they're at acting responsibly, um, coming in with our core values. So, um, you know, having that justice and equity mindset of wherever they're at um, and just being a, a giver to their community um, and making an impact outside of Socrates. And that's something we talk a lot about, particularly starting in middle school, but in our high school is giving back to the community. They have volunteer hours they have to do. Um, so, then, you know, not only being a part of the community, but having an impact is what I would hope to see. Yeah. And I would imagine uh, just being good listeners, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, um, because to be in a Socratic, you know, seminar and be successful in that model, you have to learn how to listen to people. Mm -hmm. Another huge skill that is required yeah. uh, in, in, in the leadership and, um, you know, building relationships uh, with others for sure. Um, so, you know, I know, you know, COVID was a big impact on every school, right? Not a surprise. And I know your organization went through one big challenge uh, because of a, a policy that was adopted. And so you had some turnover. So what have you found has been some of your best leadership practices in hiring really skilled, you know, behavioral mission-based, values-based humans to come work at Socrates? I... Um... Whenever we have an interview first, um, we do a screen interview, but when we think, okay, we have a candidate that we really want to get to know and talk about, the first thing that I do is form a committee of people that are going to be connected to the position. So if it's a third grade teacher, I want third grade teachers on the committee, EC representatives, um, not only so that they can be a part of that decision making, but also it helps the candidate meet who their peers might be. And sometimes the candidate might say, well, this isn't a good fit. Um, but so that's where I start. But then I also, um, again, thanks to you, I've used a lot of your behavioral-based questions to be able to ask them, you know, specifically what they would do in, in a variety of situations. My favorite question to ask is the one about, um, you know, if your best friend 
former boss and um, it's not enemy, but it's something like that. Person who doesn't like you, critic. Um, we're in the room, what would they say about you? That in itself, I feel like you could ask that one question and know whether or not you're going to want to hire the person or not. Yeah. Because it shows you, number one, how they can think quickly on their feet. Because that's <laughs> not a question I'm sure is on the internet for them to come in and be ready to answer. Um, but it just tells a lot about them. It tells their vulnerability, um, you know, how, particularly with the critic, um, how they take feedback. Um, so really the questions now, it's, the last couple of years, my questions have completely changed, right? Before it, there are, there's a time and a place to ask like, okay, how are you going to teach a lesson? Mm. But if you're here, you've been through a college prep program, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt because we're going to do a demo lesson anyways. But the interview is the part where I can find out who you are as a person and are you a good match for soccer teams? And sometimes, yeah. you know, they're great teachers, but maybe they're, they're not going to be a good fit here. Um, so it's really um, been really helpful to use those style of questions. Oh, that's great. My favorite is um, uh, what, uh, or uh, tell us about a time that you failed in your leadership. How do you oh, lead yeah. differently now? Right. And and you can tell quickly. Mm -hmm. Lots of times people will talk about how someone else failed. I'm like, okay, well, you've already told me a lot right there. So yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so I love what you said too, because it's about investing the time because mm -hmm. the last thing you'd, you'd want is to hire someone who doesn't fit in your organization. I've heard you say that about three or four times so far in our short time together. And that's just, you know, critical. You can't just hire a body uh, because you're, because you'll be repairing on the back end and you got to take the time to find the people that will best, you know, fit your, your um, organization. And that I was having a conversation this weekend with someone about that because it's so tempting right now with the um, amount of teachers that we don't have <laughs> um, that, that to just say, okay, um, they're, they're breathing their body. I'm going to put them in the room. Um, and, and you get into those points where you feel like you're hiring desperately. And every time I've ever done that, I've regretted it. Um, so regardless <laughs> of how desperate I feel like I am really holding true to what our standards are. And we had a teacher leave recently due to medical issues and I met with the grade level parents and said you know I have an interim in here right now and it you know it may work out long term it may not but I want the best for your kid and I'm not willing to just hire out of desperation right now yes I need someone in the room but they have to be quality and they have to be good enough for our scholars um, so that's a, that's something I've learned over the years don't be too desperate because you'll, you'll regret those hires Yes, it'll take you much longer to get them yeah. out of your organization and way longer to repair all the things that they've undone that you've tried to do. Yeah, absolutely. So you had talked about this at the very beginning about you know building leaders in your organization. So what so how do you build an environment for growth for the adults in your building? One of the things that I'm committed to, and I think it was the last two years, maybe where I have really taking that on as a passion of mine is growing those who are here um, because I'm not going to be at Socrates forever, um, but I want to leave Socrates in a good place should I ever leave or when I ever leave. Um, so things that we do, we do book studies together. We come together and watch. Um, most of the time we watch it. Now there it's on Zoom, like professional development. Um, some of we've invested in your coaching programs, 
Um, and then we come back and we talk about it. It's not just this isolated, okay, I'm going to see Doug Lamov and learn about Teach Like a Champion. No, you're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about it at the table to see, okay, what are our takeaways? What can we implement here at Socrates that works? You know, what are we gonna leave on the table? Um, so really just having those conversations um, as a group collectively, but then also I meet with um, those that are um, on our leadership team one-on-one. Um, -on -one. So like my APs, I meet with them as a group, but then I also meet with them one-on-one -on -one to have those conversations about their growth as well. Such an important piece because, you know, there's, if you've read Simon's, uh, Simon's Hendricks book, Infinite Game, right? There, there's no finish line to learning. There just isn't. But many times we find, you know, I've got my degree, I'm done. I've got my position and I'm done learning. But what I heard you talk about was it's not just about going and seeing Doug, you know, them off, which would be incredible in itself. It's about, okay, what are you going to apply what are you going to change in your practice? And what are you going to go teach right. the rest of us? Mm -hmm. And and keeping that continuous ongoing cycle of reflection and growth is so important that we miss, some, you know, sometimes in education because we're busy or we do all our in-service at the start of the year. And it just, it just goes away, but it's a constant loop. I think as leaders, it's important to model that for the teachers too, that you know, that's the expectation that we have here is that we're continuously learning. So an example of that, um, we have the opportunity now as charter schools, which I was really sad about at first that um, charters were left out of the leaders training or the letters training, sorry. And um, so now we have this opportunity and I read about how much work it is and it's an incredible investment of time, but the teachers that are representing Socrates are really excited about it. And I set them down and I said, you know that this is like, you really have to be committed because there's hours and hours of work behind this. It's great PD, but it's, it's a commitment. And they were so excited about that. Um, and so I feel like, you know, I was, I was excited that they were excited because that means that, you know, they're also committed to their growth. And so I'm hoping that they're seeing that that's just the culture that we create here. It's, you know, you can't get your job and be like, okay, I've arrived. That's not what we do here at Socrates. We, you know, we're continually trying to get better. And, you know, I think that I learned that honestly through my relationship with our board of directors that, um, you know, at first it was kind of a hard hit. It would be like, wow, like, is it never good enough? <laughs> and, you know, I would take them this data that was fantastic. Yeah. And I was so proud of it. And they were too, but then it was like, okay, well, what are we going to be better next time? And so it's really the last couple of years that mentality has really shifted here where it's like, okay, you know, we're going to celebrate for 24 hours, the good stuff, and then we're going to move on. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and it also goes back to your hiring process, right? You know, hiring, you know, hiring growth, you know, growth minded people. And, you know, I think that's a big misconception. You know, teachers are tired, right? but they love learning right? and they love being better for their kids. And sometimes we answer questions for them as organizational leaders. Oh, well, they just can't take on more right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, why would you stop them? Right. Why would you hinder their growth? Because I remember as, as, as a very hungry mid-level employee, 
I wanted opportunity. I craved opportunity. Feed me, you know. And so those are the things we have to, you know, remember that, yes, some of our people are full and their capacity is full and they got things going on at home. But the more that we could expose them to and just, you know, make it flexible even, right? There's tiers of, you know, learning. Some folks will go all the way through the book study. Some may read a little bit, right? Some may come to one, you know, a session, but just that little bit of growth can go a long way. And it seems to kind of permeate in your organization, right? I mean, it's kind of, you build this wave of, yeah, we're all we're all trying to get better. Just like we want our kids. That's all we want for right. our kids every day. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. Like teachers aren't asking that things like getting better professionally be taken off their plate. They're asking for other things, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and that is that is a good thought there. Like they're they're not asking for, you know, to not learn as much as someone else. They, you know, it's it's all the other stuff that they want yeah. off their plate. So that's something I try to do. So, you know, if the teacher's gonna do letters training. I want to make sure that she has professional development days built in for that um, so that she's not burning herself out, yep. um, you know, and it's not impacting the classroom and the kids. And you you yourself, you know, you're a, a member of our Empowered Executive Inner Circle, right? So this is a weekly mastermind opportunity where you're in a growth, you know, program and you're being stretched at times or you're, you know, mentoring other people at times. And, and so, you know, what are some other benefits that you've gained just from a being in a group of like-minded leaders? It's very helpful to know that you're not alone as a charter school leader, particularly at an independent school. It's just me. I don't pass other principals at district meetings, <laughs> you know, I don't have that opportunity. So it's helpful sometimes if like, I don't even have a question that day, but I can come to that inner circle and hear all the other questions and hear that, you know, sometimes they're struggling too, <laughs> you know, um, because it can be somewhat isolating um, as the lone principal at a school. Um, and just the I tell people all the time, like the amount of knowledge that I've gained just from you and um, the other people in your organization, just being able to say, hey, I have this question. I'm really struggling with this. Um, well, here, here's a resource for it. I've been through this before. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Here's this resource. Or having you come in and work with my faculty. And you know, you've worked with the leadership team before. Um, it's it's very powerful, and I think honestly, it's one of the reasons that Socrates has been so successful the last couple of years is because you have helped, and the organization has helped grow me and my leadership team as leaders. Um, because that you know, it's just so pivotal that we all continue to grow. Well, that's really kind, and um, I do it because I love all of you, and I love to watch you all just excel. So uh, I learn more from you guys than probably do from me. So I appreciate that. And so let's hit two more spots because uh, one, you're a great mom, and you're a busy mom, and you're ahead of school, right? And so um, talk about a parent engagement. Like what? How how has Socrates maintains such a high level of a parent engagement. And what does that look like at your school? I think that our parents are committed. Again, it goes back to our mission and vision here. They are bought in and committed to Socrates. And so they want to do everything possible to keep Socrates being successful. Um, we have our parent faculty involvement, which is kind of like our PTO. We call it PFI here. And they help um, 
with various initiatives on campus, but are really here to support the staff. Um, they, you know, come out and they fix the Gaga pit and they raise money for this, but um, they're they're helpful to um, each Thanksgiving. They buy every teacher family Thanksgiving dinner for like Thanksgiving Eve dinner. So it's like pasta and things like that. Um, so they're, they're supportive on that end. And then we also have the requirement of the 36 volunteer hours a year. And not every parent needs that. I would say the majority of them try. Um, to get there, um, and we provide various ways that they can, you know, as a mom, if my daughter didn't go here, it would be really hard for me to volunteer, because I'm working during the day, but um, so we can send things home, we have weekend work days, um, opportunities for them to come into the school and volunteer, um, that was something that was really missed the last couple of years with the pandemic, as we kind of shut the doors and didn't have volunteers in for a while, um, but now they're back and it's just another level of engagement with them. Um, but I think, you know, you can have involvement where they're in the building and they're, you know, they come to curriculum night, um, but engagement where they are working in partnership with the school um, is what we strive for here. Yeah. And over the last couple of years, I mean, you've had to expand and you're learning about buying buildings and buying land and negotiating things. So is this, you know, you and I were talking about earlier, like the difference maybe between a district principal and a charter school principal, is this wearing a hard hat? Like, are these things that you ever thought that you would do before? And what, what you know, <laughs> have you learned no. in the process? <laughs> no, um, learning a lot about architecture and building and construction. Um, that is not my strength at all. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where it's really helpful to have good people around you who can like help you in these meetings and, you know, explain it to you in layman's terms. Um, but yeah, it's definitely very different. And there was no master's degree class on um, expansion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 900 students. So you're managing, you know, you're managing a, I don't know, a six, six or almost, you know, $7 million budget, maybe a little bit more than that. I mean, that's a, that's a heavy level. And a lot of people don't understand that, you know, charter school principals, like, there's no central office for us to reach out to. Right? We are fully no. responsible for all the public's money. And we have this little tiny team. So, uh, you know, you got your CFO is there with you and your VC director, and you're all trying to make the best decisions as possible. So what is, um, you know, so as we end up here, right, uh, what, so, you know, talk about that. What do you do to create harmony and, you know, balance in your role? And what's, what's maybe some advice you would give other brand new school leaders out there? Harmony and balance. Um, I think for me, each day coming to work, um, I, I was thinking about this and like my quiet reflection time the other day that I felt so fortunate to be able to get up every day and go to a job that I love. And I tell staff that here all the time. If you are dreading coming to work, because I've been in jobs where I've cried on the way to work and I never want that for any of the staff. And so um, I feel very blessed to get to come in and do live into my passion. It's not really, you know, yes, there can be really stressful days, um, but it's not work for me because I really enjoy it. And um, just feel so fortunate that I get to do the work with great teachers here, um, you know, a great um, leadership team, parents and scholars like there's no other place um that I would I would want to be right now in my life so you know if I were talking to other leaders I think that would be my big thing like find somewhere where you can make an investment and you feel connected to 
so that you can live out your passion. Um, you know, my daughter is here at Socrates, and I know that she's getting the very best education possible um, because of her teachers. And it, you know, I always tell the teachers here, like you, they make me look good. Like <laughs> they, they can run this building probably without me. <laughs> um, so I'm just very fortunate um, to be where I am. Um, you know, I turned 40 this year, and um, so I reflect a lot lately, like you know, with a big birthday like 40 coming up. Um, and so I'm just, I'm just very thankful that I get to do what I get to do each day. Yeah, I love that. I think that's great advice just to be, <clears throat> you know, grateful for the opportunities that mm -hmm. you do have. Right. You know, there's lots of people out there that don't don't have the privilege uh, because the pressure is a privilege. That's right. I think I, uh, I remember, like, I don't know the quote by heart, but it's like there are days that I prayed for the problems that I have today. Yeah. And so, you know, I wanted to be a principal. Like, that was my big goal. <laughs> and then some days you sit in the seat and you're like, really, this was what you wanted. But, um, yeah, so I just remind myself of that, that, you know, I've worked hard to get here and, um, you know, that it brings me great joy to be able to do the job. I love it. Well, we're going to end on that. Praying, praying for the problems I have. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Oh, I've lost my voice here. Thank you, Vanessa, for the time that you gave us today. We just kind of scratched the surface. So listen, everybody, if you're out there, go to SocratesAcademy.us um, and you could reach out to Vanessa. And I know they love having guests and you got to come to the Greek festival. Uh, there's, you know, they really have some great, great, you know, fun out there at uh, Matthews and, and if you want to improve your academic program through the art of asking questions, what a great uh, school to learn from and a team to learn from. So thanks again for giving us 45 minutes of your very, very busy day. Now get out there and go hug your daughter and, and uh, go out there and keep on making a difference. I'm, I'm really proud of you and I'm so happy that you're part of our school leadership uh, uh, programs and, 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 and you add some really great resources and uh, value to the people um, in our inner circle and outside of it, because you're always willing to help if I ever push someone your way. So, and you'll be uh, Dr. Baker soon. So, so, so we're going to be working and looking at that steps. Yeah. Yeah. Soon, yeah. Soon. Ask me about that in a couple of months. That's right. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm Thanks. Thanks so much, everybody. And, and uh, hey, listen, everybody, if you liked anything that you heard, make sure you share out this um, episode and hit the hit the subscribe button. My son's always yelling at me. You guys all know you got to hit the subscribe button because he every week he gives me like a like a key performance indicator. Dad, you didn't get any any new subscribers this week. And so so please help me look like like a better dad and uh, hero in my son's eyes. <laughs> so we all have those problems nowadays. All right. Thanks again, Vanessa. Hey, thanks so much for listening to that last podcast. Hope it added some some great value to you. Just one more second. Just wanted to share with you an upcoming event that uh, we're hosting called Live to Lead. Now, Live to Lead is a leadership conference that's that's hosted by the uh, John Maxwell and the International Maxwell Leadership uh, Team. And so, this is an opportunity for you to learn from re you know, renowned leadership experts that, that come from a variety of industries. And, 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 you know, we love it because it's a, it's an annual opportunity to recertify and just gain new perspective on, on relevant topics and practical tools. It's, and, uh, and you can, you know, attend right there in your own conference room or even in your living room, whatever you, you choose for this upcoming event. It's October 7th. It's going to be 9 a.m. Eastern time is our live event. So with that, you're going to learn from leaders like Pat Lynchoni. 
He has his new upcoming book, The Working Genius. Uh, Dr. Tim Elmore is going to talk about his new book on generational diversity. John Maxwell is going to share about his new uh, book on the laws of communication. Eric Thomas and Doris Kearns, who's, a, who's an unbelievable uh, historian of presidential uh, leadership, and she's going to talk about how to how to lead through challenging times. So this is a great opportunity around the table, around the conference room, or around your home office, wherever you choose. Just go to our website at lbleaders.com. That's lbleaders.com. And right at the top, you're going to see a yellow bar that says the 10 Live to Lead. Click that button. And uh, for right now, we have our early bird opportunity prices for you to buy a virtual ticket. One price will get you all. Plus, when you buy now, you have access to all the bonus uh, content. The last couple of years, Live the Leads episodes, the, the top the top leaders are in there. So you're not only going to have just your Live the Lead event, which is you know bound to give you 90 days of additional uh, personal and professional growth content, but you're also going to have weeks leading up to it, access to um, a bonus content and other leaders. So you can't beat it. You're going to get extreme value out of it. Go to lbleaders.com and uh, click on the link and get your leader pass and get started today.